frontline communities in Washington State have a voice at the 2022 UN Climate Conference in Sharm El Sheikh, Egypt. The Just Transition Alliance will join with the It Takes Roots Coalition in a collective effort to ensure that the various policies being proposed at COP27 are rooted in justice for workers, frontline communities, and the environment. In collaboration with Rainier Avenue Radio, Environmental Justice Coalition Front and Center is producing this local to global report on the front lines. I'm Edgar Frank, the Familias Unidas por la Justicia, an independent farm worker union and front and center member organization based in Skagit Valley with over 500 members across Washington State. And this is Crash the Cop 27 with Jill and Edgar from On the Front Line. Shout out to Rainier Avenue Radio. Special thanks to Tony B and his team at Rainier Avenue Radio for broadcasting our frontline community reporting. And shout out to Environmental Justice Coalition Front End Centered for producing this local to global report on the front lines. This is Crash the Cop 27 with Jill and Edgar. I feel like it's great that we're making, we have a podcast and we're making, uh, we're getting, getting the word out about um, the COP and the climate negotiations, um, especially in light of like the richest man in the world, Elon Musk, like buying Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, uh, you know, the social media is uh, becoming uh, less democratic and more privatized, uh, less public, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's the kind of the cool thing about community radio and community podcast and using the different things that we have at our disposal to get uh, different perspectives that are not controlled by like corporate media or billionaires um, to like kind of shape the way they think into their worldview. So I think this is very, very vital, um, especially, you know, important to how information gets shared through with social movements. Yeah, I mean, we already our education system waters down a lot of our history. And so we got to we got to tell it how it is. So, yeah. And I also um, going back to something about like the cop and how people, um, you know, they want to know more about it. I talked to Jose Bravo, who has been involved for a long, long time on this um, this issue on climate justice. And he has actually a, a pretty profound history. Um, like even going back to when um, there was no cop at all, like it was, um, I think the first was like the Rio, like conference on climate or something like that, like in the 90s, early 90s. He was kind of mentioning to me how there has been three kind of branches within the cop space. There's like the the financial and like the economics, I mean, the financial economics and the fossil fuels. And the science, um, and that for the last couple of like ten cops, they've only uh, seek to address like the or talk about like fossil fuels and economics, but never like listening to the science. Even like last year, like scientists were doing things that were like way out of the norm, right? Like they were like chaining themselves to like to like <laughs> power plants and like block doing blockades and kind of cuddling kind of, like, a calling attention to just how urgent the crisis is. Um, you know, there's like report after report now that shows like, oh, we have some like, oh, we have 20 years to do something before we reach like a, 
um, like a point of no return. And then other people are like, no, we actually have like 10 years, less than 10 years now. Um, so, and the scientists, I think, have been ringing the alarms and think at this point, they're just like in a, you know, like, what else can we do? We've like studied this already and have given recommendations, but still nothing real drastic has done, has, has changed. So, you know, I, I think they take even, the direct, even, the direct action approach, yeah. I think is. Okay. Sounds like scientists have, ex like some, these scientists who have been, you know, the ringing the bell, holding the bell or like um, trying to flag this issue for years are realizing, yeah, exhausted all mm -hmm. their other outlets and just, you know, have to organize and take action. Like, yeah, direct action. Um, well, and again, I think along with like, I think they're siding more with, with, um, communities that have been saying this for like many for like decades also and you know about how how this is unsustainable and you know it's hurting people's health and the planet's health like indigenous communities have been saying this for for many generations and you know as science like now has like you know like these scientists that you know that western countries listen to the most have been saying the same thing that many communities on the front lines have been saying so um, you know it's it's still um, you know, still, still a fight everywhere. Then I think that shows the importance of why the solidarity piece is important and kind of rethinking and reframing um, the whole narrative about um, who we listen to. Like, do we listen to scientists or like communities? You know, like, like you could actually do both. You know, scientists can listen to communities because usually the communities are are correct because they're on the ground. For today, um, we're still trying to get our, a lot of our crew trying to get our accreditation, like our credentials. So we went back to the UN space, um, uh, the blue zone. Um, however, today was uh, the first round of negotiations. Um, so they closed down a lot, a big portion of the space for those negotiations that are private. Um, and, uh, uh only the what they call the parties again the, the parties are the countries uh were able to participate in those no civil society groups um were really allowed to intervene um and tomorrow it's going to be the same thing where it's going to be closed negotiations some of them are streamed like some big speeches by world leaders that will be available online um, today they had the opening uh remarks from world leaders and the welcome from the host countries um, and also, you know, so we ended up going to the blue zone for a bit and then we went to the green zone. Um, the green zone is a place where it's like, it's open to most people. You have to register for it. And, uh, um, you still have to register and get like permission to go in, but that's a place that you can go in and like check out a lot of different pavilions. There's five pavilions. There's like a private sector, uh, academia. Uh, financial institutions, uh, um, like NGOs, uh, like each pavilion has like a different, different thing um, where they, uh, I mean, oh, they have government, a government pavilion as well, um, but they have um, like little booths and you can go and talk to the people there and see what like each booth is. A lot of them are kind of like what we call greenwashing. A lot of it is like about 
you know, oh, uh, Boeing uh, is here and this is how they're going to lower emissions. You know, if you buy a ticket, um, they're going to lower emissions by, uh, you know, planting a million trees, you know, just like all these these uh, things, you know, like our target is net zero. Um, a whole bunch of stuff on net zero. And again, our stance is that net zero is not zero um, and it's not a just transition. Um, yesterday you were talking about Microsoft and we actually passed by the Microsoft um, pavilion, the booth that they had there. Um, and there was, I don't know who was there, but there was like a guy talking and he had like cameras and people were taking pictures. I don't know who he was, but he was talking, you know, I don't know. He was talking about like, just a lot of like just buzzwords about you know oh sustainability and um uh a lot of words that you know come out of like social justice like if you didn't know anything about what he was about you would think this this that it sounded really good what they were talking about you know like a lot of social justice thing like sustainability and uh, justice and equity and all these uh like words but you know coming from somebody that was like uh, partnering with Microsoft, you know, kind of like scratch your head uh, considering kind of the stuff that we were talking about yesterday, like Microsoft and Bill Gates and how Bill Gates has been one of like the um, people that has, you know, perpetrated like injustice in many ways, um, you know, with like in Africa, the land grabs and trying to reform farming and in Africa and, also buying up farmland and uh, privatizing land. So, you know, Bill Gates uh, and Microsoft have a lot to do with how, why the system is the way it is, bad for communities. Yeah, I mean, it definitely the Gates family, uh, you know, has been using their quote-unquote wealth that, you know, they made on the backs of other people. I'm just gonna not gonna be um, uh, shy about saying like you know they they're not like self-made people that many many people were exploited so that their family can have all this money and now they're using their wealth to yeah buy up land. I, I think um, Community Alliance for Global Justice has this campaign on holding the Gates uh, family uh, accountable for their being the biggest land landowner in the Americas, mm -hmm. right. buying up farmland as well as uh, what they did in Africa, like under, um, like trying to buy up land there too, saying that they're for food sovereignty. When we know that food sovereignty is really about the people owning their own, you know, means to uh, yeah. grow their own food and the land, and you know, have a, have a autonomy over their own food system, not uh, Gates family. So, uh, yeah, they're big, big landlord, big making a lot of money off of this uh, green economy. Um, and then to the point of like net zero or let's just put it on the table, like net zero. I even heard about like net, what is it? Net negative. <laughs> yeah. They come up with all these, like this language, know. you know, this okay. weird language that yeah. doesn't make really make sense. So, like this mug, this mug of mine, this travel mug, if I were to like throw it on the ground, litter it, or throw it in the ocean, you know, and then I turn around and, you know, plant a tree, uh, this mug still exists and it's still at the bottom of the ocean. It's still litter. Like it's a still a concrete, <laughs> like waste. 
me planting a tree does not absolve that, you know. You can't just finagle numbers and say that you're a better person or a better company as you, you know, you're covering up your 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 waste, your mess, your pollution. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's just a, it's some business scheme again to make themselves look good when they're not really doing anything at all. Um, yeah, the cup is still at the bottom of the ocean. The pollution is still in our neighborhoods. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just like hundreds and hundreds of organizations are here. I was like, wow, like, where where do you come from? Just like from, and, you know, there's like so many organizations like that. And most of them are funded by like these big, uh, like, like the people that are pushing for like the market-based mechanisms and nature-based solutions, if they call them, right? Like, um, so it's just, um, it's just like a bizarre kind of place to be uh, seeing that, like all these, I mean, they're well-funded. I mean, they probably have budgets that are in the millions. Um, you know, uh, a lot of young people also like they're representing them. Um, and, just listening to them talk i don't know if they believe what they're saying but um you know they how much access and influence they have here um it's it's kind of scary because again this place is not really accessible for like working class people or people that are on the front lines that are actually having to deal with the problems um, and the issues and i don't know that i mean it seems like it's an intentional thing to like leave out those voices you know even how actions are going to be planned it's very constricted and very monitored and you have you could only do it at this one place for like 10 minutes or something it's very limited on the actions you can have and they're usually in places that are like that where nobody could see them um like if you're trying to like reach the delegates and the 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 people that are going to be negotiating it's almost impossible to have like an action where they'll be you know like held to account or you know like this is what you're doing um but you know the like social movement space are places spaces are kind of like left out like that but yet these like big nonprofits that work side by side with corporations and and the government's pushing market mechanisms are are very present and just everywhere, just like saturated, saturated, like even just walking around town. You can just see um, just how many uh, people with their uh, um, they're called observer, um, the their um, their badges. So you can just see like just thousands and thousands of people like that. Um, just what you were saying just now, like made me think about that um, activity we do um, the Just Transition School where we have the cup of, you know, cup, cup of water and we're like yeah. tipping it over and it's the person who's right next to the cup who's like, you know, uh, very alarmed and also ready to defend themselves or ready to fight back or ready to resist. And then the folks are around the room are like, you know, trying to figure it out. Like, do they help? Do they stand and watch, or do they egg them on? Uh, I I feel like you know uh, that tipping point, right? Like we're we're at that tipping point right now. 
Uh, yeah, it's time to listen to the people who are sounding the alarm, uh, who are resisting. Uh, and it sounds like, yeah, the, um, sounds like they're trying to like hide those voices at this uh, conference. And so it's a good thing that y'all are there as a delegation. Um, yeah. And, uh, hoping we can continue to amplify your voices and, uh, let folks know you're there, uh, resisting and, 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 um, sounding the alarm. From this experience, I think, you know, it's gotta go to how we take things on at, at a global or a national or a, also like a state and local level, you know, cause a lot of the decisions that our state takes or the leadership that our state takes comes from, from this process, this United Nations framework. So, you know, I think that's something we should also take into account. Like, you know, where, where um, our state, you know, likes to think of itself as a climate leader, um, but they're following this framework that has basically said that it's okay for our solution to the climate crisis is more offsetting and more market-based mechanism. So um, they're doing all that, but yet still, you know, not doing anything to fund or to resource the communities that are that are impacted. Um, so I think that's like a thing that maybe going back home um, to try to tackle, like at the uh, global level, it's called like lost damage. Um, almost like a climate reparations, you know, and I think within the state, that's something maybe like communities should start asking for, like, you know, like communities that have been hurt by like nuclear facilities or refineries or coal plants or, you know, pesticides um, um, by the heat you know, or the cold, like all these like um, things that have been happening that could have been prevented a long, long time ago. So you know, how do, how do those folks have, how do they pay for their climate debt that they owe to communities? Yeah, and making sure that those, those funds don't come from, uh, like, sacrificing other communities. Yeah, I think right. the hard part is our, our state is, uh, you know, doesn't have an income tax, doesn't really tax corporations, really relies heavily on sales and property tax mm-hmm. uh, but yeah needs to figure out how they can uh, resource uh, the communities impacted without you know hurting other communities in the process mm-hmm. uh, well also I think yeah. like the the competition for resources becomes like another big barrier and I think that's the thing that divides the communities the most right they're like oh we have these grants um you know but there's only like so like a certain amount of money so and then like it becomes like a rush for community organizations to like fight over like these grants um and sometimes they're not even that much um for the amount of work that they have to do it's like very minimal grants but yet our community needs those money and you know it creates like this competition instead of a cooperation uh, within within our folks and you know again and that creates like another distraction of like actually instead of organizing and building power, we're like fighting for like these, these things that, you know, that take up so much time and energy and ends up 
dividing us. So I think that's like a, a word of caution, I think, for for our people that are organizing. That's true. Fighting over scraps, fighting each other. <laughs> we got no time for that. Yep. <laughs> but we also got to survive. So yeah, it's a, it's a very hard tension, you know, uh, that, um, you know, folks need the resources, but yeah, they're. The, the way to get them is very difficult. And yeah, what would it look like if we all like work together? I think that that was something beautiful about Front and Center when we first joined. Like a lot of there's a lot of um, partnering on on you know resource generation or you know, trying to figure out how to support the members uh, um, to have what they need to organize. And I think that yeah, hope we hopefully that we can. Um, emphasize those uh, values around collaboration and uh, not competition so we can mm -hmm. get further. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think, I don't know who said, it, but I heard this like a couple of times from different people, right? Like we have to think of like, not in terms of scarcity, like what capitalism wants to think like, Oh, everything is running out, but like, no, actually there's a lot except people hoard it. So it's actually, there's an abundance of of everything um but just even like when it comes to food right there's like there's actually tons of food that's being produced already like you know there's enough food already to feed like two earths two and a half earths but just the way that's distributed and the motives and the the purpose of food production is not to feed people it's for profits and i think that's the same thing with like with with finances that there is actually a lot of money is just being hoarded by people that already have lots of it. Um, you know, it's still following like the neoliberal trickle down economics stuff. Like, you know, if you, if you know, you make rich people richer, eventually like money will fall out of their pockets and some will get to you. So I think that's still the mindset that we have going is like, no, we actually, there's a scarcity that is manufactured for us to fight over that scarcity and like, you know, fight for that while other people get to hoard the majority of the, the money and the resources and the power. It's amazing like to think about how, you know, third world countries, the global South are like so resource rich and yet a lot of the people are poor. Mm -hmm. It makes me think how, especially like in the Philippines, right? like the, there's so much, uh, they could, yeah, there's enough land to feed everybody there, all 100 million people. But <laughs> the country is so poor because it's corrupt and, you know, allowing for uh, foreign corporations to take, take these resources and away. The, the people don't have ownership or, or access to it. Yeah, I think if we were to change everything you know how it should be folks would uh have yeah a better life <laughs> the white house just released kind of the their statement on the u.s's role in addressing climate change so i i kind of just glanced at it a little bit i know that was like a big uh um thing last year especially like when biden i think it was like biden's first year um, he was pledging like all these commitments of funding and uh, the climate fund and all these other things. Uh, and then when he, as soon as he got back home, he like 
issued a whole bunch of like drilling permits to fossil fuel for offshore drilling. Um, so I, I was, I just saw it like something just popped up right now about that. So I think reading off what the White House, that statement, um, I think that could also be like a little guide about how we hold our count, country um, accountable while here at the COP. So I, I think um, that's, I know um, that's uh, even within the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, um, even though it's supposed to be like to help poor people get by, a lot of it was just giveaways to the fossil fuel corporation, like fast tracking, drilling and permitting and like pipeline. So, you know, I think we have to, you know, hold Biden accountable and um, tell him to do better. Um, and I think just because he's a Democrat doesn't mean that he's off the hook. Um, he's still, you know, they're still being beholden to the fossil fuel um, industry. So I think being a cop, I think, well, hopefully we get to see some of our delegate delegation and tell them to do better. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to be a climate champion, be a climate champion. <laughs> Don't yeah. drill anymore. Uh, but I, I do have to go back to, uh, to the bakery and uh, go back to work. All right. It's great yeah. seeing you. Keep it up. Yeah. Yeah. Take care. Okay. I'll talk to you soon, Edgar. All right. Thank you, Jill. Thank you. Bye. Bye. This reporting of COP27 is part of a collaboration with Rainier Avenue Radio and is also part of a new environmental justice podcast, On the Front Lines. The first season of On the Front Lines explores people's movements in the Philippines, cooperative farms, frontline community health in Washington, the dangers or false solutions such as nuclear energy and carbon markets, the promise of the Just Transition Framework, and a project celebrating the untold stories of Nikkei farmers in Bellevue. Ten episodes feature local and global guests, including frontline advocates, organizers, workers, filmmakers, artists, and more. Look for the podcast via website at frontandsummer.org or search for On the Front Lines, available now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Anyways, that's all for now. See you soon on Crash the Cop with Jill Negger.